Hey, hey, Jordan, what's up? Hey, Rob, just filling out this rehoming paperwork for Ken. What's up? Oh, nice. How's that going? Good. You know, I mean, I think we've kind of just gone as far as we can go in terms of content with him. Yeah. He's, he's a bit difficult around the office, so we'll just rehome him and do a different show and everything will be fine. I can't imagine yeah, people I'm being sure upset I'll... about that. No, I don't think so. Uh, I think most people will be happy, actually. Uh, yeah, do you have totally. a minute? I just had something I wanted to go over with you uh, mm-hmm. really quickly here. What's up? Um, okay. So, you know, I wanted to prepare for, you know, recording the next episode and I gotta say I'm a little bit conflicted right now. Um, okay. You know that, you know, better than anybody that I have not been easy on, uh, president Donald Trump, right? Mm -hmm. I call him things like mango Mussolini, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, Donnie small hands, uh, a drump obviously is a, is a classic. Yeah. Yeah, use that around the office a lot. Um, I, you know, I've gone pretty hard at this guy uh, over the last couple of years, and uh, I can't. I have to say, I'm a little bit conflicted right now because I can't help but want to want to praise him honestly right now for for the way that he's rising to the occasion right now. Uh, there's a whole myriad of different crises that are affecting America, and I really mm-hmm. think Trump at the moment is showing some really s- strong and steady leadership, and I feel like it would be. You know, if we want to be real journalists here, it's important to, when he gets it right, you got to give him credit for it. And that's kind of where I'm leaning towards right now. Well, yeah, I, I know um, it's tough to compliment him. And I know you are, yeah, one of his biggest critics. So I just, yeah. well, you think he's handling the, the coronavirus thing well? Well, the main thing that I wanted to focus on right now that I think he's really crushing, because, um, yeah, you mentioned there's the coronavirus stuff. Uh, there's, there's the, you know, the ongoing protests and, and incidents of horrific police violence that have been happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I really wanted to talk about was how he is going to bat right now for everyone that has had their Twitter account shadow banned, who, if you've been, you've been unjustly removed from social media. If you if you do like a tweet that you think is really good and you said this is going to be so popular and then it doesn't really do the same kind of numbers and it's probably because of some kind of censorship issue. Mm-hmm. That's the big priority that he has right now. And I got to say, it's it's really impressive to me that he's he's taking this head on because, you know, you know how passionate I am about this. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's really like t- going at these companies head on right now about this stuff. I just got to give it up for him. I think he's I think he's doing a great job. Yeah, I, I, I think. um you know, there's a lot going on right now in, in the country, and I think that, you know, we've got 100,000 people who are dead from coronavirus. We've got 40 million people out of work. You've got an uprising in Minneapolis because a, uh, a, a racist, murderous police officer killed an unarmed person for a nonviolent offense. And I think that to cut through all that noise like Trump is doing and focus on the important things like not getting enough retweets on his tweets... Yeah. Um, that just shows that this is someone who understands the 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 plight of the working person. Yep. And he, you know, he's got his the ear to the ground. The forgotten man. Yeah. Yeah. The posters. Those are the, the people on the front exactly. lines. The real first responders. Yeah. The real political activists as well. Absolutely. Um, another thing I thought he could look into was, you know, when you post a picture on Twitter, sometimes it doesn't like crop properly. You know how that happens? Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, this is going to be good. And it posts and it, the, the sort of like image preview is all weird. Mm-hmm. I hate yeah. that, and I, I, I hope that's another thing that he that he can he can talk to Jack Dorsey about. Well, I was going to start a change.org that... petition for that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually have a table uh, that I'm going to set up once everything's like you're going to go back to normal and kind of get some signatures and get build an email list about that. But again, I feel weird about praising the praising uh, uh, Trump, uh, Donnie small hens. But um, what hasn't been small is his his heart when it comes to standing up to these tech giants and their relentless censorship of conservatives which I, of course, do not agree with. Got to give it up for President Trump. Um, sir, please continue, keep going. Keep pushing. Don't let them Don't let them push you around, sir. Get, let's bring back all the banned accounts. Let's, ki- let's get the engagement numbers back up. We can do this. This is something that America can come together and agree on. I know it. Okay, everyone. Hello. Hello and welcome. Uh, it's the Insurgents. We're back. It's episode 24. Thank you for joining us. I'm happy to be back. How about you, Jordan? You seem to yeah. Earlier in the chat, you were, earlier before we were setting up the episode, you were like, eh, I'm not really... I don't really feel like doing this. I don't you feel know. like doing So you're anymore. feeling better about that? or? Yeah. <laughs> I just want to like... I don't know. I, I can't... Have you have you been sleeping well? I have not been sleeping well, like at no, all. Oh no, oh no! Okay. I have not been all sleeping right. well, at all. Yeah, I just I've I've gotten this weird pattern now where it's like I fall asleep for a couple hours at like seven or eight, and then I'm up till five a.m. and then I sleep from like five to nine. It's just I can't break it. It's so bizarre. Yeah, yeah, not great. Yeah, I'm I've always been kind of a night owl, but because when you become a parent, it becomes like impossible to live like that anymore right. but lately i have been kind of like I find myself waking up in the middle of the night often and just like being awake for hours sometimes and then and uh the difference is like i'm guaranteed to be up at like 7 a.m so if i'm going to bed at 5 30 then that's uh i'm not looking at a great great restful sleep so yeah it's been a little bit disruptive over here as well not always bad but you know a little bit uh a little bit of a disruptive sleep schedule as well. I hope you're doing okay, though. So what else is up? <laughs> <laughs> ah, you're fine. You're fine. Uh, yeah, so um, we've got Vanessa AB coming back on the show uh, this week, and it was really excellent conversation with her uh, yet again. Two-time mm-hmm. guest now, uh, Vanessa. Mm-hmm. We were thankful we were able to speak with her. Uh, she's going to be coming on in just a little bit. Uh, and we, I don't want to give on, again, I don't want to go too long here. We have some other reviews and stuff to get to. I did just want to ask you about, because um, we were joking around in the intro. I mean, well, you, I, I was serious. I was joking. You know, in the intro. No. Yeah, okay. Just to be clear <laughs> on that. But talking about uh, Donald Trump and his like executive order today, which really hilariously all stemmed from him like blatantly spreading misinformation and doing voter suppression uh, about mail-in voting, just completely lying through his teeth on that. And Twitter, like after four years of him constantly lying on twitter.com about whatever, uh, Twitter meekly being like, oh, by the way, some of this stuff is not actually true. And uh, just, of course, setting off this big shitstorm of fake outrage uh, from Trump and from conservatives who have been beating the war drum about this now for years about how they're they're apparently like censored and everything on on social media um Mm -hmm. what do you think about that what did you think about that executive order and do you think that's going to have any impact on like 
what these social media companies do to uh, try to slow the spread of misinformation or try to like encourage people to not use their platforms in certain ways. Do you think this is going to have any impact at all? No, I don't think it'll do anything. I think it's just, <laughs> I think there's no real, like they don't really have a firm leg to stand on in this complaint. Um, and I think that it's mostly just for show kind of to further this grievance narrative. Um, I think it's mostly just going to be uh, some performative uh, Trump's cracking down on tech giants and the left, you know, yeah. and, uh, while the left is simultaneously <laughs> caping for like uh, warrantless surveillance for like the three letter agencies to, 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 to have that type of yeah, power great. and capacity within the Patriot Act. Uh, I think it's just to kind of differentiate themselves and also coincides with this kind of, like the equivalent of like Clippy popping up on your screen to be like, do you want some help with voting? And yeah. it's, it's just, it's, 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 it's all about nothing. It, Charlie Warsell for the New York Times tweeted uh, either yesterday or today. It's like, look, it's my job to think about this full time professionally. And even for me, it feels like just rearranging the chairs on the deck of the Titanic while it's sinking. It's just like, it's just, yeah. it's just so trivial in the grand scheme of things. It's weird because like focusing on Twitter, because I, I spend most of my time there in terms of like social networks, mm. that's been like a consistent conversation about Twitter, about like what role the company should play in like, for instance, shutting down hate speech or getting rid of like open white supremacists recruiting people on the, on the website. Which I, of course, agree with. I mean, you can see the roles that like social media companies played in things like uh, the Christchurch uh, mass shooting and, and amplifying these messages and, and rad helping to radicalize people into these like really violent far right movements. Like in general, I would be I'm supportive of these companies taking steps to ensure that that doesn't happen. But I think the reason that I'm a little lukewarm on it and I always have been is because like these these like Silicon Valley dipshits i like i don't trust them to do the right thing when it comes to either you know being the arbiters of truth or saying what's what's a what's needs to be fact checked or what's true and what's not true or what constitutes hate speech um because you've seen time and time again that anytime these conversations become too big to ignore and these companies try to take steps to address some of the really toxic behavior of, of certain uh, users it's almost always done in a way that like, oh, now that we've targeted these these open white supremacists, now we also have to target these other people on the other side to ensure that we're not, uh, you know, we're not seeming too, uh, you know, biased towards conservatives. We can have conservatives accusing us of bias because they would never do that disingenuously. And I guess that's as much as I think that these things do need to be tackled by social media companies. I just don't trust any of these people um, to not you know, arbitrarily start punishing people across the political spectrum uh, for like the wildly disproportionate um, uh, types of, of speech in an effort to seem impartial. And I've always just kind of felt more like it's it's better probably for everyone if we just let these companies do what they kind of originally wanted to do, which is just let people, you know, use them however they want to. You know, if if I was in charge, I think I would have certain rules and restrictions about what uh, who was allowed to be on the platform and who wasn't. But I don't really trust like Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey to be uh, making rational decisions about this. And I certainly don't trust them to respond to this like escalation by Trump uh, in anything resembling a productive way. Yeah, I try to think about the long term consequences with these types of scenarios. 
in these situations where it's, yeah, sure, right now it's it's not the person. We don't want Trump at the helm of this type of narrative or complaint because it's just going to set up some completely rigged system. Like he and the right-wing infrastructure and corporate interests on the right would just, you know, maneuver their way around Silicon Valley and carve out a sweet deal for the right because the right will represent business interests more than the left. So I, 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 do, I do fear about, I do, I do have fear about Trump driving this narrative. That said, I do think there's something to be said about free speech on big platforms like this, because we've heard, I've heard from people um, that there are murmurs potentially linked to documents showing there are active suppressive measures of ultra-progressive content on these types of platforms, and that would really help to protect their bottom line. And I think about how yeah. sh- should uprisings like the one we're seeing in Minneapolis become more common and more frequent and more spread out and really pose a risk to capital, at what point do these tech giants just disconnect everybody involved or disconnect everyone completely? I mean, we've seen in areas in the Middle East or in the Arab Spring where countries were starting to see tumult and governments were at risk, what was one of the first things to go? (laughs) So I I do worry about how we rely on these platforms so much to communicate, especially if it were to come to some sort of populist uprising. And I think that the way people communicate, um, there needs to be a backup plan, Um, whether it's through... Man, even going <laughs> going back to like just pirate radio type stuff or independent like broadcasting. I mean, there's just something to be said. And I know Alex Jones is like a total doomsday prepper type guy and not sane, but the guy has a ton of like actual physical infrastructure to broadcast on radio waves if he were to ever get completely taken off the internet. I mean, so like yeah. the guy's a kook, but like, I mean, he certainly thought that plan through. And I just think at some point, like, we can't rely on these giant corporations to protect us in the long run. Yeah, and it it really is amazing, too, how well this, like, working the ref strategy has worked. I mean, this is what the conservative movement has been doing with the media for generations, right? And they've pulled everything to the right with this exact strategy of accusing the the sort of centrist liberals of of this vicious bias, apparently. And then instead of, you know, just telling them to fuck themselves, the response has always been to like, oh, let's let's make sure we include more conservatives and more <laughs> more conservative viewpoints and, and censor the left even more to make sure that we are clear about how balanced we are. Uh, the exact same thing has happened with these tech companies. If you look at Facebook, who is constantly being talked about as this like, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, the far left, uh, you know, liberal leading these these tech companies. And you look at the Facebook news feeds and the top stories, you know, week after week. The top 10, it's like Breitbart, Daily Caller, Fox News. They just, the right wing just dominates news, uh, Facebook news. And they actually have people like on the board of Facebook now ensuring that this continues. Uh, And that doesn't stop people like Donald Trump or other conservatives from still claiming that there's this some kind of like far left conspiracy to censor conservative voices. Uh, It's actually the exact opposite. Um, But ironically, yeah, that's why I, I think tech companies are better off even though this is not the ideal solution i don't really know what the solution is but i think it's better off that they just uh take a step back from being the arbiter of of who belongs on what network and um uh, because i just know that like it always has it's going to end up being applied to the left more so than anyone else um 
and that's where these conversations are always going to go. So even though I would, I'm, I would be certainly uh, supportive of just going into Twitter and banning all the white supremacists and Nazis and all the people I don't <laughs> like, uh, I know that's not what going to be the actual result is. And it's going to be like, you know, leftist shit posters being banned for telling people they're going to like bang their wives or whatever, whatever dumb, <laughs> dumb stuff that, that is going to get people banned. Um, so that's all I wanted to mention about that. It's been a pretty funny story. Uh, Trump's meltdown about, uh, about Twitter and his, his tweets, his precious posts. Um, so we'll see where that goes. Um, before we get to Vanessa, we do have a couple of reviews and a couple of voicemails to, to listen to. I guess we should, should we do the voicemails first or let's do the voicemails. Yeah. Okay. So I have not listened to these. I have no idea what I'm about to listen to here. <laughs> I got two voicemails. We're going to see what's on there. You're laughing. So I'm guessing there's some funny stuff in there. So let's listen to our, our voicemails and once again, the voicemail number is... Oh, come on. Uh, <laughs> 202-570-4639. I was quick there. Thank yeah, you that was good. Slow run up. Yeah, I was trying to talk very slowly. So um, that's where you can leave us a voicemail. We can listen to uh, uh, your voicemail on future episodes. But for now, let's just get to these um, right now. Here's, here's voicemail number one. Hi, this is Chuck calling from beautiful Sacramento, and I'm just calling to admonish Rob because he's always diving deep into these really depressing harangues that frankly gets me the heck down. So I would really deeply appreciate it if you could, I don't know, shorten those or maybe add fun clown noises. (laughs) Air horns, that's a great idea. Say hi to Ken for me. Bye. I do kind of do that sometimes, don't I? <laughs> uh, depressing harangues, yeah. Depressing harangues. I would recommend that this particular listener does probably does not listen to the rest of this episode. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, there's some rough stuff in there. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. And no air horns. But I will. Yeah. There's a there's a couple of depressing harangues in there in this episode. But I will try to balance those out with some kind of wacky sound effects, <laughs> um, or some other. Uh, I can work on some different strategies to kind of, you know, maybe just start doing jokes, like knock-knock jokes, something like that, just kind of break the ice, break the tension a little bit. I'll think of something. I don't want people yeah. to be depressed listening to the show. I want them to be happy. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think that would just require lying to them, which... Yeah, things are pretty uh, bad out there right now, folks. I'd say. <laughs> There's no getting around it. Okay. Okay, well, I'm sorry for the depressing harangues. But thank you for uh, the voicemail, is... Chuck. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Chuck. Here, here is voicemail number two. Listen, I want justice for Kenny Clips, okay? <laughs> you guys have been so disrespectful to my boy, Kenny oh, Clipstein. You need to let him back on the show, or I'm going to throw a fit. I love you. Bye. <laughs> well, it doesn't sound like he loves us that much. From uh, the, no, not, not with that kind it's of It's expressly going against, yeah, it's expressly going against the very serious double lifetime ban we've repeatedly mentioned that mm-hmm. we can't, if, if people think we can just like flaunt the rules and throw that in the garbage. Oh, I mean, he does know what he did. Mm-hmm. Ken, he so, yeah. So I appreciate <sighs> the passion. Um, yeah, I know. I know. 
Don't let's not start. Let's not start with that right now. Getting worked up again. Now my blood pressure is going to spike. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, that this is why we're discussing rehoming Ken right now. Mm-hmm, actually, mm-hmm. Uh, that's the exact reason. Um. <laughs> so yeah, we we appreciate the the passion. Can't guarantee that we're going to stop. Uh, uh, our campaign of uh, of of bringing Ken to justice and exposing his <laughs> his myriad of different uh, offenses. And, and and crimes, frankly. I'm just laughing at the thought of like thirty two year old Ken and we're just like, Hey buddy, uh we gotta we gotta rehome you yeah. and like his wife is like confused. <laughs> we're bringing you to we a farm a upstate. You're gonna you're gonna have plenty of room to run around up there. <laughs> Beautiful scenery. Lots of other posters are up there. It's yeah. great. Great. It's all all your favorites are, are all there waiting for you. Um, okay. And I, I just want to point out that, you know, we've gotten a couple voicemails that mention Ken. You know, despite our repeated asks to just not bring him up. So uh, if you could be mindful of that when leaving a voicemail, maybe try to cut try to cut those down. Less of that, more of getting our names right, that kind of stuff. Yes. Ideally. Mm-hmm. I do prefer when when they correctly identify you know who we are and the, the name of the show and everything like that. Sure. Okay. So if you don't, if you're not happy with that, you're really not going to like this this iTunes review that I wanted to read. Oh shit. I, I just have to get into it. I just have to read it because there's no, there's no sense in, in delaying it. Okay. Uh, the title of the review is Ken and Jordan same person. What? Uh, in episode twenty two. When Ken Klippenstein made another unwelcome appearance on the show, there were some moments where I couldn't tell if it was him or Jordan speaking. Throughout the episode, I had a hard time differentiating their voices. Is this some kind of a ploy for Ken to circumvent the double lifetime ban? Is the show a psyop and Jordan and Ken are actually the same person? We'll be very concerned until this matter is addressed. Do you have a response to that, uh, Jordan? That's offensive. I'm offended by that. Because I gotta no, say, I've you know, I've I've spoken to you many times of Ian Ken as well. I have never seen you in the same room together at the same time. What? Which is a I little have? bit. Yeah, I mean, I can. I guess I can take your word for it, but it is. <laughs> I I had never thought about it until I read this review. That I was like, hey, that's kind of kind of odd. Maybe this is well, a psyop of some kind. I think we should just gaslit. move on. We don't need to examine this any further. We should just move on. I don't think I don't see why yeah. this is important or critical to the show. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um th- this one's kind of nice. Not really a joke review, but it was great to hear. It says great podcast. They cover a ton of interesting topics. It's especially lighthearted and fun to listen to, which is kind of in contrast to what we heard previously from the, the listener on the voicemail, but yeah. is people get different things out of the show, which is good. Uh, would definitely recommend to any left-leaning person who is disillusioned with the political landscape of the last eight plus years. It's nice to have this available since I live in one of the reddest parishes in Louisiana. There aren't too many like-minded people near me. So this podcast remind me that I'm not going crazy because I think healthcare and housing are human rights, which was lovely. It was, it was a nice. lovely review. Happy to I hear did, that one. I did see that one come in the other day. I really liked that one. Um, and I can't imagine how frustrating it has to feel to live in an area like that and have those political beliefs that you do and know that you're right and know that those ideas are just basic like widely accepted concepts everywhere else and then to live in an area like that where you're the outlier like what that's got to be so frustrating so i i I can't fully uh, understand what that's like but i do sympathize with you so thanks for listening to the show hope you feel a little bit better about 
uh, where you stand politically and what you think and know that you're right and you're the compassionate person for, for believing those things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I really appreciate hearing from people uh, in situations like that. And it, it kind of highlights how we can kind of play a small, small role in kind of bringing people together a little bit and making people feel less alone wherever they are. So I really appreciate hearing that kind of stuff. It's, it's weird for me because like being here in Montreal, it's not like there's not conservatives and reactionaries in, uh, in Canada or in Quebec where I am. Um, but I really just like do not ever have to associate with any of these people if I don't want to like really only in, in like an online capacity um, so the idea to me of being sort of just completely in one of these these pure red state areas or you know having having family members or friends that are kind of that follow these ideologies it's so foreign and alien to me and I really like uh, I, I can imagine it would be really really difficult to, to live like that so um, yep. I definitely appreciate um, reading that review and getting the idea that that this show can be some kind of an escape for some people that are trapped in these situations. That's, that's really nice to know. Yeah, totally. Okay. Here's the last review I'm going to read. Then we're going to get to our interview with Vanessa. We're already going like way over the amount of time that I wanted to spend uh, on this introduction. Uh, so the view says solid podcast. I like this podcast, uh, but they talk about doing bits a lot. I'm not sure I understand what the bit is. Also sad about Ken Klippenstein leaving the pod RIP in peace. <laughs> I think everything after the intro music is the bit. Yeah, exactly. That's when we're being, we've made this clear before, but in case anyone needs this clearing up mm-hmm. the first four or five minutes, that's when we're being very serious. Everything else is just a complete kind of postmodern, uh, comedy, you know, yeah. cultural critique, performance art kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So if we, you can be clear on that and everything we say after the first five minutes, when we talk about how good uh, Joe Biden is, that's all just, you know, us kind of having a laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, so please continue reviewing the show. We love to get the reviews most of the time. Um, leave us voicemails. Uh, subscribe to The Insurgents uh, at Substack, theinsurgents.substack.com. You can subscribe at the $5 per month level or $55 annually. Have access to bonus content. Get into the Discord server. That is all the plugs. We've gone way too long here. Let's get to our interview with Vanessa. What do you think? Let's do it. Let's do it. We, we're very happy to have Vanessa come back on the show. It was great to speak to her again. And uh, she's going to be joining the show right after this. So Vanessa, we're um, we're trying out like a kind of a small talk segment at the beginning of these interviews, kind of break the ice, kind of thing. Uh, I don't think you're a, I don't I don't believe you're a gamer. This is usually the video game <laughs> block of the show. But do you have any like any any interesting new uh, quarantine pastimes that you've been that you've been getting into? Um, pastimes? No, I've just been doing a lot of like side riding. I refuse to try Animal Crossing, not because I'm too cool for it, but because I'm addicted enough to Twitter that I don't think I need to like yeah. add one more thing to keep me up until 3 a.m. Yeah, that's my favorite video game as well. <laughs> um, so, oh, I see a little bit of a humble brag there. You're quote unquote accomplishing stuff and you know, <laughs> writing and this. Like, I see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, I'm... I'm working on a book proposal, which means I have a bunch of writing that just lives on my computer and everyone has to take my word for it. But there is no evidence, no proof, none of it. 
Yeah, what about you guys? Are you are you I uh, I guess you're gamers. That's more Jordan's. Uh, yeah, that's my my wheelhouse. Field. Which is accomplishing things. Um yeah. I think you get sure. you develop skill sets like teamwork and problem solving, things like that. So I, I am also the motor being productive. skills. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hand hand eye coordination. You never know when that's gonna come in handy. Looting. Uh, I loot <laughs> a lot in Fortnite. Applicable this week, so we'll see. Yeah, I just spend a lot of I just spent eight hours a day trying to keep my son entertained and uh, do play a lot of with like action figures. I watch a lot of cartoons. <laughs> um, it's been I don't know what the, if the heat wave touched you two uh, lately. It was kind of on the east coast, but it's been very very hot here. So we spent a lot of time kind of like running around and through sprinklers the last couple of days. That's been kind of uh, fun. Yeah, that's adorable. I feel like your kid might remember the quarantine more fondly than you. Oh, he's having Which the time of his nice life. Outcome. He loves it. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> he's having a great time. He's like, I hang out with my dad all day, watch cartoons, play in the sprinkler, play with my <laughs> toys. What's what's the problem here? I don't see any. I don't see the issue. <laughs> he's doing great. But uh, Vanessa, thank you so much for uh, coming back on the show again. This is great. We just had you a few weeks ago. We're happy to have you back. You're now already a two-time guest, so very very prestigious. Congratulations <laughs> you. to you for. For this great, this great honor of coming on the show to. I'm very to, happy to be back. Well, we're happy yeah. to have you. Your your plaque is in the mail, so thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, we, the title you were saying you wanted was what? Senior uh, apocalypse correspondent? Was that? Was yeah, that it? yeah, exactly. I would take that. I would take. That. <laughs> cool. Um. So what is going on there with with you two? I know. I know. Like we've got plenty of stuff to talk about, but I think, I think one of the things we can kind of start with here is just that, despite the true devastation of, of what's happened in the United States over the mm-hmm. last uh, couple of weeks and months. It seems like the whole country is just kind of gearing up to uh, restarting everything, reopening everything. Even, you know, there's, there's different States that have had, that have handled this differently. And I think places that have, that have won praise for sort of their handling of it. And are now just kind of like, well, now everyone else is doing it. So we have to do it. Like, um, what level of comfort are you two at about about the the plans to just basically just get back to business uh, over the next couple of weeks? Well, Jordan, I think we both kind of live in the same area, right? Yep. Um, yep I think so. Yeah, I live in Washington. The mayor, I guess, the mayor and her team came up with. Um, she's a Democrat, by the way. They came up with some metrics. Um, things they wanted to see before reopening the country and then fast forward four weeks they're sort of like well we have not met any of the (laughs) metrics unless maybe you cut out the last you know two days out of last week if we move this number over here and move this number over here it's actually not that bad so that's right uh and so long story short dc is partially reopening tomorrow we don't have enough contact tracers uh, I think there's testing, but it's not like, you know, it's not like super widespread. Infection rates are still going up. Black people are disproportionately dying of this. Uh, it's just like a hot, hmm. it's a hot mess. And my employer has been, my day job employer has been pretty chill about it. And is very much like, we do not expect anyone to come in. Um, and we'll figure out a way to, open things up that will make you feel safe and even then it will still be voluntary which i appreciate 
but it's really fucked up for people who are not going to have that choice and yeah so yeah Mm -hmm. so i'm just like bracing myself for the second wave and as much as i love to see muriel muriel bowser fail um i'm just really saddened by like all the people that will die as a result of her cowardliness um yeah and many of the people who will die will be public servants so i don't know Mm -hmm. Vanessa, was it you who tweeted out the, like the list of things? Uh, I think it was you. It was p- pointing to maybe it wasn't. I'm sorry if, if I'm just misremembering. But someone uh, tweeted out uh, DC's like guidelines for reopening, and it was like we want to see. Uh, I think it was four straight weeks of declining infection rates, and it started to uptick in the last week. Where, eh, well, good enough. We tried, and it's like <laughs> we're just gonna charge right into it. <laughs> just like this type. I mean, that's cool. even like relatively speaking like dc i think is in a probably better place than most other cities or states um and that's it's still in not a a not great situation and i think it's still premature to reopen and like vanessa was saying at the end of her at the end of her comments like it's not going to really impact people who you know are are as stable situations probably you know modest to high income people who have health care it's going to affect hourly workers it's going to affect like you know people public employees things like that who don't have that type of stability who are now forced into the situation where they need to choose between getting sick or or working in an unsafe situation or uh you know going broke who don't have that safety net to catch them and it's it's totally unfair for extremely privileged people and political leaders and people who are powerful and connected to make this decision on their behalf with no safe alternative. It's absolutely bogus. Right. And I was watching, you know, last weekend, watching the footage of people at the pool party in the Ozarks. uh, And just, I I just generally, I'm an anti-pool person. So I had just like a base, like a really hard time relating on a basic level but like this is what happens when you send out mixed signals and one of the things dc is saying is like okay we're going to reopen in four phases phase one you can have gatherings of up to 10 people and we're asking people to be vigilant well you can't (laughs) permit people to gather in groups of 10 and then also be like please be careful um Especially considering everything we know about the virus, which is not enough, but at least we do know how quickly it spreads. Yeah. Um, And I kind of get the urge to look at those kind of scenes and just be like, oh, these people are disgraceful and they're terrible and awful. And Which was my first reaction. Yeah, yeah, I I do understand (laughs) that. And especially you see that kind of scene. It's just like, well, that really looks super unappealing to me to go to in non-pandemic times. So I can't really put myself in the headspace of someone who's just aching to go and sit in this like big bacteria pool with two dozen other people uh, drinking like, you know, lukewarm Miller lights uh, in the pool. But at the same time, it's like what you said, I agree with, which is that you can't, if, if you tell people that it's okay to go back and do this stuff, I mean, they're going to do it. I mean, it's, if there's, if there's not rules and, and uh, a sort of procedure in place to deal with this uh, properly, people are going to say, okay, well, it's the summer and I'm tired of this. I'm tired of being inside. I'm going to go back to doing the shit I want to do. And like, it, it is, it sucks, but you can't really blame people for reacting like that. I don't think. Right. Yeah. It's at the, I was thinking about this the past few days and the Ozarks thing really set me off because that's just like one sensationalized example because the clip went everywhere but like these things are hap- they're starting to happen all over the place where people are going back into groups I, I and this is purely anecdotal but on my I, my Instagram feed alone 
I saw tons of people out in, you know, small to medium-sized groups for Memorial Day. Uh, I think a lot of people think that just because it's their friends and family, it's fine because they're not going to like a restaurant or a bar or things like that. But no, you could still like be an asymptomatic carrier and spread it. And then the thing that's really been bothering me is people who are taking trips during this time. And it's like all of these things collectively are so fucking selfish because it's always done by people who are a in a position to like travel or go on vacation or whatever or have all this like dispensable income at a time when fo now 40 million people are out of work. And like, you know, millions, millions of those people have no income whatsoever. Their unemployment hasn't, hasn't kicked in or anything, have no severance. People are struggling. We're seeing evictions starting to return in some places. Things are about to get very bad. So this type of like privileged, just absolutely reckless and selfish behavior of these people putting themselves before everyone and not just the country, but the world, because they're just further elongating this crisis. It's driving me mad because it's just it's so unbelievably reckless and selfish yeah it's hard too to watch because when you're trying to you know i've been here fucking god knows how long now two and a half months or whatever that i've lost completely all track of time so i have no idea really but you know and you and you kind of you're trying to do the right thing and do what you can to improve the situation and to make things like less difficult on frontline workers and people in like long-term care facilities and the people that are like really, really, uh, in, in harm's way. And then you see this kind of stuff start to happen and it's, it's frustrating because it's like, it's not like I wouldn't like to go out and, and leave my, my fucking house. And I would love for my kid to be able to go to daycare maybe a little bit. And, you know, I would love to, you know, I'd be very happy if this was over and we could just kind of go back to the way things were. And I, like, I understand that, but I think that's kind of the frustrating thing is like you there no one is really on the same page and, and are the leadership both in the United States like what you're talking about and here frankly mm -hmm. um where I am in uh, in Montreal and in Canada has been kind of the same thing it's like they're they're opening the door to that kind of stuff uh it's not really been a cohesive um effort to to continue this until it was really eradicated it was like we're going to take steps early on to do what we can and even though it's not enough, now we're just kind of giving up. And it's just it's just a huge mixed signal to everyone. And, and it's frustrating when you're sitting here kind of trying to do the right thing to see that kind of start to fall apart. Right. Setting aside. So I, I want to like acknowledge that, um, you know, there's like a systemic issue here and we really want the government to take the lead. I acknowledge all of that. OK, setting it aside for a second. Do you think there's like a cultural element to it? I, I feel like freedom is a huge and freedom and individualism is a huge element of the American narrative. Like this, it's like such a huge part of the story that America tells about itself of like its origin story of like its future. Like it's just part it's everything is wrapped up in like freedom and people getting to do what they want. And even though it's a myth, I feel like it makes it harder for even when the government says we're going to shut down and we're going to stay inside. I feel like it makes it harder to stick in a way that maybe it doesn't in other parts of the world um, for various reasons. Not because there's something like innate about you know, the way people are built in other places of the world. I don't mean it like that. I just mean that like different historical moments have led yeah, America to feel this way about freedom. 
And so it just won't fucking take directions. <laughs> yeah, this has been like part of the American project for like since the country's inception, basically just like beating out any sense whatsoever of any kind of collectivism and making sure that that for the idea of freedom in everyone's mind is just linked entirely to like personal freedom to just do whatever you want and, and go wherever you want. And if anyone ever tells you not to, then that's that's not freedom. Right. And like that's been a very deliberate project to make people uh, think this way and to, to kind of recoil automatically at the idea of like sacrificing so their neighbors might do better uh in america this is like completely antithetical to like the way the way the people are kind of taught to behave uh so now as we've seen over the past couple of weeks when you need to come up with a big collective response to a major crisis it's just not like it's not only difficult it's just not possible in america i feel like it's yeah because and of this because of this this element it's just completely ungovernable and it's like formalized in like in and, you know, in federalism and the way the states kind of get to just go their own way, even in like moments of public health crises, you know, we still permit D.C. to do one thing and then Virginia and Maryland sort of have to get on board or maybe D.C. is following their lead because they realize that like if Maryland loosens things up, like the reality is that people are going to commute into the city. So like, should we also loosen things up? Um there's just, uh, I don't know, it's like the sanctity of the state, you know, and and um, in moments like this, it's like really biting us in the ass, I think. Yeah, I, I, the, the, the lack of a collective response in this kind of like this influx of like patriotic and uh, freedom and liberty uh, type rhetoric to dissuade people from participating in like social distancing and things like that. I just think about the lack of collectivism here and how it manifests in things like Lake of the Oz Lake of the Ozarks and other mass gatherings and like I don't, also just to be clear like the, the Lake of the Ozarks party that we saw the video of was called the Zero Ducks Given party. Oh. So they were like it wasn't Ooh. just that like people were like anxious to go out. It was like they were actively flaunting that they just don't give a shit. And um I'm just, I don't know what it's going to, I mean, at what point do we just say, okay, sure, whatever, and just start, like actively wish ill on these people? Because like, they're just like playing with fire and they're like taunting us for even caring. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't understand. I, I, I don't know how to feel. This is something I was trying to articulate, I think to you, Rob, earlier in the week when we were talking about getting ready for this episode, just we have this collective frustration. Everyone's pent up and the people who are doing the right things are the ones going to be stuck inside even longer. So all of these people are getting this type of release by going out and like having parties, the people going on trips or vacations or whatever. And it's just like, they get to go out and do what we would all like to do, but we mm -hmm. can't because we have a shared responsibility to one another. And like the American idea just kind of just quashes any type of collectivism because rugged individualism and liberty and autonomy is so entrenched in like this capitalist mindset. Like we talked about in earlier episodes, it's like a death call here. Like you go out yeah. and you have to work because this is how you are a better person, how you're a better American. But the end result of that isn't really the people who are going out and like running these companies doing it. It's people who are really struggling and have to do it just to survive. So it, I, I'm just really angry and I don't, I don't know how to art articulate it because I don't want to be an asshole because it is tough. But, like, these people are actively making it worse for everyone else. 
Yeah, and like like people have pointed out too, it's not that these people partying in the Ozarks are going to be the ones hooked up to ventilators. It's going to be, you know, people in long term care facilities and and nurses and doctors and people in at grocery store workers, uh, and all these people. Like these are the people that are going to actually physically be harmed by this kind of stuff. Not so much the people who are. Uh, you know, not giving any ducks right now, but they're just the ones that are kind of like yeah. uh, allowing it to continue. Although the stupid thing is it could hurt them too. We're all, yeah, it you know, there's this whole well narrative that was like, oh, watch out for the elderly. And I don't know, young people are dying yeah. as well. Well, one thing too that has been pretty eye-opening for me is because I think early on in this pandemic, I was actually a little bit encouraged by the collective response. Uh, and the way that everyone kind of agreed in, in, in a sort of nonpartisan way, okay, we've got to, you know, do something to confront this. It, it seemed like there was an element of that at first. And that was kind of giving me hope because like you're thinking, okay, well, this is the, the this is kind of a warm up to a, a climate crisis situation, which is going to, which is going to require exactly that kind of a, a large scale mass collective response, but even more, you know, even more significant. And so this is giving me a little bit of encouragement that maybe maybe when it gets down to that time, people will do the right thing. And I, I really have to say that I did not I really did not imagine that things like wearing a mask or like doing what you can to control the spread of infectious disease was going to become this like partisan culture war thing. That's just another, you know, that's just another culture war battleground now that people are going to yell at each other at. Uh, that does not bode well, I think, for for the future, for like the idea of America or really anywhere in the West, uh, really like rising to the occasion and, and, and participating in mass collective action to like change our lifestyles. You see there yeah. like, the, oh, boy, that's not going to work at all. That's not going to work at all. Uh, so that's a little bit depressing and scary, I think. Yeah. I mean, part of we're seeing the conversation now around like who's who is at fault for kind of fanning these flames. And we, you know, I think there's a a growing consensus that the tech giants and the social media platforms are, are becoming more and more responsible for allowing this type of, like, maybe not the partisan divide that you're talking about, but the, especially the misinformation around this type of stuff. Um, and, you know, there seems to be, like, a general growing consensus that, like, Facebook should have some role in... Uh, at least suppressing uh, that content from spreading on its platform. And when you have a vast majority of people now getting their news and information from places like Facebook, I mean, as the administrator of that platform, you should, like, you know, police what's on there to some extent. I don't know if I would go so far as saying they should be, like, liable, which Trump is trying to do with his executive order, but, like, at least have moderation, like most other websites. And I'm... I'm... Worried and kind of fearful for the future if if this doesn't catch on if this if this concept and understanding doesn't catch on at like a critical mass level because it's only going to get uglier and we have these types of people like I don't know we we've got people now fucking giving their kids away for content like this is like we're living oh, yeah. in a fucking oh, yeah. hell, dystopian hell world like we... this is only going to get worse and and when we have like giant platforms like this where people are getting their news and uh, the guy who runs it refusing to do anything about it. This is the worst health crisis we've seen, or, or, or we haven't seen a pandemic like this since, like, in a century, and we are so unprepared, and we're seeing, like you said, like, we have a partisan divide about just 
wearing a mask. It's only going to get worse as these things continue to spread, as, as the planet continues uh, to grow, like the population continues to grow. It's just going to get... It's going to... Dude, think about the ecological meltdown. If we have some environmental catastrophe and we have a partisan divide over whether it ha- whether it happened and what to do. Like, I can't... It's only going to get uglier. Where are we going to rehome these, like, several million climate refugees that we're dealing with that makes our current border situation look like a like a nice little pleasant afternoon at the park, you know? I'm just getting ready to uh, do my rehoming announcement video. That's my, that's my plan. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. Yeah, not, not not a lot of good signs going on um, for the future of America at the moment. I can't I find say. it now, but I saw some, um, there was some poll taken about people who would be willing to uh, get the vaccine once the COVID vaccine was available. And it was much lower than you'd want it to be. And I just felt like if we can't even agree on all taking the fix when the fix is available... I just, you know. Oh, there's going to be a many conservatives that will never, that will never take this vaccine when it does, even the the, the hypothetical vaccine that we're still two years away from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be a large movement within the conservative movement uh, that's just going to be like it's just like a Bill Gates uh, mind control nanobot. Uh, don't thing. sleep, don't sleep <laughs> on the liberal or moms of Orange County. Um, yeah, the ones who currently will that's not right. vaccine yeah. their children against measles. No, that's that's absolutely right. Yeah, I, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's been a tough week, and also I feel like, I mean, I don't want to say that I'm a newcomer to Twitter. I've had a Twitter account since like 2013, but I've only been really active on it since late 2016. So maybe it ebbs and flows, but I feel like every either everything is getting worse on the website or the website is aggregating the worst things and they are (laughs) all hitting us at once all the time you know it's like george floyd chris the bird chris the birder um lady who uh adopted a kid and then sent it back and then (laughs) minneapolis riots and l.a oh sorry uh uprising i'll call it an uprising not a riot and then ellie's on fire you know it's just like it just keeps coming and it's um it is kind of uh, kind of accelerating you might even say kind of seems yeah like. mentally it's <laughs> tough to take you know yes, it is and we're all stuck inside too with no sports or no other thing to do there, just there are no sports the, you're yeah. on the tl looking for cats and instead it's black people getting murdered by the police uh it really takes its toll uh, I, I, for one, I am not having a good time this week. <laughs> I would say no. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's, I mean, that's a, it's a good place to, to transition into that because I think that's one of the things we're really seeing right now. Uh, these like fissures now kind of starting to uh, give way in American society and, and, and people who are being pushed to the brink and, uh, having no other kind of outlet, but to sort of, uh, start, start fighting back in a way and we're mm-hmm. seeing a very very stark contrast between how the state deals with uh you know potentially violent uh protesters when they look one way versus when they look another way uh like you know you have some protesters that are able to just like walk into state houses carrying ar-15s and scream in cops faces and just basically like take their little like podunk militias and and occupy these government buildings and just kind of get you know escorted out of there when they're when they're finished doing their little cosplay thing or whatever 
Uh, and then you have, you know, in, in Minneapolis, like you mentioned, uh, these large scale protests over the last uh, few days that are just being like ruthlessly crushed. Uh, being people are being gassed and beaten and arrested. And it's uh, it's like that that contrast, obviously, in American society has always been there. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's so stark, like it's just so right there for everyone to see now. And then kind of all the the masks have, have slipped, so to speak, pun not intended. Um, and now we're this is like we're seeing this this really stark divide in America as mm-hmm. clear as as day and it's impossible to not to deny anymore and we all have like nothing but time to watch yes you know uh yeah it's um yeah i uh i remember i was um doing some research for a piece back in like 2017 i was writing about the kerner commission and uh the uprisings of the summer of 1968 69 I don't want to botch it. I'm probably wrong. Um, but anyway, in doing that research, I found there's like some statistics that says that basically violence, uh, there's a correlation between violence and like the temperature outside. So in yeah. in colder months, you see fewer like murders and violent uh, crimes. And then um, in the summer, it skyrockets. And we're approaching summer. And I just feel like, there is so much pent up energy and frustration. Like if the police and was I, going to stop murdering people, like now's a good time, you know, because and, people and I have a sinking are like, feeling it's going to be a long, hot summer as well. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's going to be a long, hot summer. Yeah. And, and like now's the time to just de- deescalate um, because I think people are really, uh, I don't know, like people are sort of already on the brink. Uh, but instead, I'm hearing news that Minnesota is releasing the National Guard, which has only ever made things better in times. Like yes, yeah, so it should be all <laughs> taken care Peace- of. Oh yeah, peacekeepers. Soon enough. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Not Trump, only, sir. Not only that, um, prosecutor says there's other evidence that does not support a criminal charge. Oh, so- for fuck's sake! <laughs> really? Uh, that's, I saw a clip. I haven't, I haven't dug too deep in it because I just saw it when we started recording, but Jesus Christ, like, of of course, I was thinking like, this really had, it kind of checked all the boxes for things that everyone could generally agree. Like, no, you just can't do that. You know, didn't have no excuses. Like he wasn't flinching or reaching for anything. It's just, the guy is just slowly killing someone and Mm -hmm. got his hands in his pockets, completely carefree. clear as day people who aren't even political i see you like talking about this like people who are just typically avoid this kind of stuff altogether or even acknowledging like no this is like this way crosses the line and still the prosecutor's like nope nope sorry can't do it and just like what what is it what is it going to take for like one person to be held accountable for this kind of shit it's gonna be i mean is this what finally takes amy klobuchar out of the running for VP. <laughs> she was, you know, she was a prosecutor uh, for eight years and she had plenty of chances to yep. fire a bunch of killer cops, including Incl- the men yeah. who killed. <laughs> including this guy. Including this Who's guy. Who's killed like multiple people. He's killed like several people throughout his career as being a police officer. Jesus been God. been like, uh, has acu- been accused of like reckless conduct multiple times, never ever like actually punished for it. And it's crazy. Like, you wonder, like, how many people exactly like this fucking guy are populating every single police department in the United States? 
I mean, it's just like you, the mind reels just thinking about the unfathomable level of, of, of cruelty that a lot of these people are holding on to. Something that is interesting to me is I am seeing a lot of uh, the K-Hive get really excited about Klobuchar being out of the running because they think this means that now Kamala Harris can take yeah. that slot. But it's and she's like, much better on this issue, as we all know. So Kamala Harris, yes. Like, <laughs> like you will, you don't have to dig really deep to also find instances where she herself refused to like prosecute uh, bad cop behavior. I yeah. I'm happy that this is now possibly part like becoming part of the litmus test. Um, but it's just like, what world are you are you living in that you think Kamala Harris passes the test? You know that Klobuchar cannot pass. Um, yeah, and it's you kind of you kind of I can't help but kind of um, recoil when people say like, oh, if you want to want to reform this kind of stuff you just have to like vote for the democratic party and then they can kind of get the people in place that are going to uh, deal with this but like this has been like this kind of lurch toward uh law and order and, and mass incarceration this has been like a central plank of the democratic party for many decades now mm-hmm. and you know in, in empowering law enforcement and like uh even recently like a lot of the new kind of crop of democrats are like former spooks and former law enforcement people and they really value prosecutors like uh, Klobuchar and like uh you know like uh, Kamala Harris um and this has been like part this is like you need this on your your uh, resume in order to rise high in the democratic party and no one has been more emblematic of that than Joe Biden who at this exact moment is now the presumptive nominee for president and you know we're having this conversation about whether what level of like a uh, uh, shitty law and order democrat is going to be his vp pick <laughs> and uh couldn't be like a worse candidate for this exact moment to confront this kind of a, a crisis and um i don't think that's going to mean really good things for them especially when we've heard so much about how how important you know the the african american voters are to the democratic party um oh yeah very important. And, and we hear this all the time but you don't you like i don't see what the democratic party under joe biden is going to like offer any of these actual communities uh that's going to actually improve their conditions or or like decrease any of these huge systemic problems that people like joe biden have created right i i thought about the klobuchar thing this morning as well and it's like oh yeah this has got to be the end right like there's no way they could have her as vp after this and then it's like no i feel like i don't know (laughs) everything yeah everything like the worst possible outcome for every scenario has been happening so it's like i feel like they might now deliberately pick her to placate like the like the like the racist moderate wing Mm -hmm. it's just like they might feel like uh, by not picking her, they might upset those types of people or whatever. I don't know. I have no idea what the rationale would be, but it doesn't seem to ever make sense. But now it's just like, I'm almost certain it's going to be her now. I, I, yeah. I would be happy to be wrong. Well, as I mentioned last week, when you've got a far left radical like Biden leading the ticket, you do have to balance that out somehow with uh, someone a little bit more moderate. So you can see where that, you can see where they're coming from with that. <laughs> totally. And Vanessa, what do you think about the, cause now of course we're in the, the discourse about, uh, uh, looting and the the dangerous looters and how they're it's just as bad and how they're not you know they're not protesting properly and they're too angry and they're they're it's it's uh you know just setting themselves back and this is violence you know it's violent <laughs> violent right. looters Vi- violence um, against property yeah i yeah have exactly zero compassion for <laughs> 
Target, um, the AutoZone, RIP, <laughs> all of it. I think that I think that people Prayers have up for a, AutoZone. People have a right to be angry. People are not being listened to, and so they have to make themselves heard. I also think that maybe people wanted a good crackpot, and it's like if the doors are already crockpot. Sorry, not crackpot, not crack, not to cook crack, <laughs> to cook delicious stews. Um, like if the doors of the Target are already open, like I'm not mad. I, like, how can I be mad at people being like, well, I might as well. Um, especially as like many, many people have pointed out when you look at the CARES Act and like who benefited from that and you look at the billionaires and how much more money, like how they have just like thrived yeah. in this time yeah. of hardship. Well, hardship for everyone else. Um, yeah, except for it's them. hard for me to like give a shit that like Target might lose a couple of million dollars in one night, especially when it's rumored that that particular Target, according to like some sources in Minneapolis, refused to sell milk to protesters on the first night of the uprising. Um, and so oh, that sort of made them an easy target. Uh, and oh, sorry for your listeners, milk because people were getting um, pepper yeah. sprayed and tear gassed all night. Um, so yeah, I feel no sympathy when I was a so I grew up kind of all over the place. But I lived in public housing in France as a kid, and I um, the public housing project where I lived there was one uh uprising in 1997 it was kind of a precursor to the sort of larger protests that happened in 2005 um but i just you know like i'm now i no longer live in public housing and i'm pretty comfortable but like i feel a solidarity with like what i view to be you know, my class, like my former neighbors, like I feel like I relate to the kind of conditions that lead people to that kind of anger. And the uprising in the public housing project where I lived also followed after uh, police killings. Um, so yeah, those are my feelings on it. I feel, I just, I feel a lot of solidarity with the people putting their bodies out there. I think they should wear a mask because of COVID and also because there are cell phones around. So if you're going to throw a brick, you know, cover up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but does that's well, it. Well, that's, that's the that's a scary advice. thing, too, is that like when you look at, at Ferguson, the protests there and how many of the the young leaders of those, pro, those protests turned up mysteriously uh, dead oh, in weeks goodness. and months after. Awful. Incredibly and how the media has given no shit. Like yeah, they'll cover no, never talked about. Yeah. They'll cover the CBS on fire, but like you said, like how many activists have died through like mysterious suicides or just like unexplained deaths, you know. Yeah, we just it's, found him in like a burned out car mysteriously. Mm -hmm. Weird how that happens. Might as well just move on and not pay any attention to that. Uh, also I want to point out like the, um Target has been a strong supporter of various uh, aggressive and invasive law enforcement or, or policing initiatives, including like supporting uh, cameras and different like safe zones in Minneapolis, uh, Minneapolis and like um, 
a, a bunch of different like campaigns, like National Night Out, Law Enforcement Grant Program, National Sponsorships, Safe Cities, uh, Forensic Services, Investigative Support, and all this other stuff. Like Target and the Minneapolis Police uh, have been working hand in hand for a very long time. Oof. So I think um, this is also an extension of that relationship, and they're the targeting. Tar- targeting target nice. and, and and the uprising i think was was also associated with um their very close relationship with the police yeah and they're, fucking, they're not moving any of this merchandise anyways it's a pandemic they're, it's all insured they're gonna be fine stop crying about target for god's sakes it's embarrassing people yeah it's so weird but Tar- the, thing the target is, like, corporation is gonna be a-okay i promise you. We, their stock can- went up today their stock went up oh, today. really <laughs> can we talk about the lady who showed up with one knife <laughs> in her uh, wheelchair. I, I respect her moxie. I, I was like, <laughs> I mean, it's it's brave. Like maybe I, maybe I don't agree with what she was doing, but you know, you gotta you gotta give it up. <laughs> you gotta hand it to her. <laughs> um, yeah, fucking bold move. Yeah, that was something else. Mm. Uh, no, yeah, but that's just the other th- uh, connecting to the previous thought that I was having. Um, about about the Ferguson activists and what happened to many of those uh, folks. And when you just look at the ways that radical black activists have been treated by the United States government for decades, like for since the civil rights movement, you know, going all the way back to like Fred Hampton and MLK and Malcolm X and, and Angela Davis and all these folks and the way that they were completely uh, killed in some cases or completely marginalized or attacked by the by the uh, the FBI or the law enforcement agencies and you just look at this long long history of these movements being ruthlessly crushed you know going all the way to like the move bombing and and all these other really terrible uh, incidents throughout the history of the of the United States the recent history anyways to say nothing of uh, <laughs> the longer history mm-hmm. and uh, you just got to wonder why anyone would think now that like the the way we need to respond to this is by just like yeah voting for the democratic party for for you know who in Joe Biden's campaign uh, platform it's like we need to like empower law enforcement and hire more law enforcement uh, uh. <laughs> officers to to uh, you know go out into the communities and get to know people in their communities and stuff Don't boo, uh, to say nothing of Biden's long history of, of, of you know being a law and order Democrat who's been at the forefront of mass incarceration and the drug war and these very intentionally uh, these very these programs are intentionally designed to uh, marginalize and dehumanize people and uh, yeah, I guess that's, I don't see how anyone can look at this history and have any faith in this system that it can be reformed in any way, uh, that you can have better cops or better training or, or, you know, more funding for whatever prisons or anything. I don't know how anyone could just look at any of this stuff and come away with any other conclusion than this is all, all just needs to be completely abolished. Uh, the whole system is completely rotten. I mean, we're seeing it do, we're seeing it work as designed right now. You know, it's not like it's an, it's a fluke or it's some kind of weird uh, fluctuation. This is exactly what the criminal justice system is in place for in the United mm-hmm. States. And it's it's crazy to me that that there's still people, to say nothing of conservatives, but like people in the center, people that are more liberal leaning, that still have faith that this is a system that can be like reformed uh, and can be fixed through like incrementalism. And, and diversity and, uh, initiatives. Know. I mean, exactly. Washington yeah. DC has one of the blackest police forces in the country. And yeah. people are still getting killed, you know. Yeah, doesn't, and the the tactics, the tactic, the tactics in DC, like the jump outs and shit, which is just so, so regressive and archaic. Like, um, 
I think it was Paul Butler who wrote the book. I mean, I don't really want to speak to that t- that line of research because I'm I'm just not the expert there. But like, if you want to learn more about that listener, I think would think policing their own. Uh, I think Paul Butler was the author of that. It's a it's a fantastic book on that line uh, of research when it comes to criminal justice and in communities like DC. Um, Jesus Christ, it's just, it's nuts. Yeah. Wait, are you thinking of locking up our own? That That's one? what I meant. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. No, that's a very good one. Um, Paul Butler, I think Paul Butler wrote Policing the Black Man. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. And then looking up our own is James Foreman. But yeah, Sorry. this idea yes, that, yes, like, yes. yeah, this idea that, like, there's, you can just throw money at the thing and then make it look like the United Colors of Benetton and you'll be fine. It's just absurd and it hasn't worked for years and it hasn't been true for years. And, I don't know it's just like there's just no the democratic party has no imagination you know like it's just not willing to try alternatives and one thing that makes me particularly sad is that like for all the talk that you hear in the democratic party about wanting to um lower the rate the rate of incarceration around the country you know Everyone's read uh, the new Jim Crow. Everyone's talking about mass incarceration. Okay, COVID is the time to put that to the test, right? You have this like major crisis, this pandemic that, and, and then you have these crowded prisons that make it impossible to socially distance inside of them. It's creating hotspots around the country. The smart thing to do would have been to release people early on before things got bad instead of like condemning them to a death um and you have prisons filled all by the way with people many of people who have not even pre-trial like yeah Mm pre-trial who have not been convicted of any crimes right they're still there and then you look at like some of the most allegedly progressive cities in the country again washington dc new york that are just like not willing to um, release people. Governor Cuomo, who's like America's new daddy, you know, it's just like letting people <laughs> rot at Rikers. And it's just like, well, if they won't do it now, they're just not going to fucking do it. It's all lip yeah. service. And exploiting their labor to make like <gasps> new, to make new sanitizer <laughs> that for yeah, a while yes, yes. they couldn't use. <laughs> I yeah. Just, yeah. It's Zaddy. Like, Zaddy Cuomo. I'm Cuomo sexual for, yeah. for that prison Actually, labor. I was going to say, can we please tone down, tone this down a little bit? Because as a Cuomo sexual, this is a bit upsetting to me to hear you guys. Slender. <laughs> Slender Andrew Cuomo, who I feel very passionate about. <laughs> oh, my God. Did we ever solve the mystery of the nipple rings? Was it just, <sighs> like, what his nipples do in air-conditioned rooms? Or did we determined we've definitely had this discussion on the show like flowers (laughs) (laughs) was it with you vanessa were you with me we only talked about it one time if you talked about it here it was with you clearly it's been preoccupied (laughs) (laughs) i apologize Um, (laughs) the cuomo nipple correspondent If you come to my basement, I've just got this like room in my basement with like a bunch of like high res photos of the nipples with like the red line, the red string yes, connecting all yeah. the like, like like rust coals, like a storage facility that he's got there. True detective. <laughs> yeah, we're not sure. We're gonna get to the bottom of this though. This is an ongoing uh, an ongoing story that we're gonna be covering definitely. 
until because I see me I see the the lamestream media has tried to move on from this. Uh-huh. But, they try, they want know. to bury it. They want to bury the story. <laughs> We're bringing you the real news. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think one thing that I just wanted to mention too, while, while we were still talking about this, um, just because when we talk about this this incident specifically in Minneapolis or the or the the uprising that's going on or the looting, and we talk about violence and state violence and what that means, I think people do also have like a really narrow view of what what state violence means, and they just see it as this like oh it's when police uh, shoot people, and you know that's that's something that we can sort of address. Um, but like that's not the only form that state violence takes, and I think that's something that has to be part of this conversation too, because it's not just about uh, people getting gunned down, unarmed people getting gunned down unjustly, but it's about um, uh, kicking people off their food stamps. You know, it's about cutting people's health care, austerity. Mm-hmm. It's about limiting access to affordable housing. Uh, all these things, all these things have huge, hugely violent impacts on on a lot of these communities. And then when many of these people have been kind of like uh, dehumanized. And trapped in these these really hopeless situations because of a lot of these these very specific political choices, and then start to react to that and react violently to that, and it's it, you know people that kind of wring their hands and tut tut over it and and try to say you know oh these uh, if if only we could be doing the good protesting instead of this bad protesting. Mm-hmm. I just think people have a really narrow view of of what constitutes state violence. And are not really like taking into effect a lot of the really harsh uh, conditions that affect that really plague a lot of these communities that that lead to these these kind of flare ups, and that's not stuff that's just going to be resolved by you know locking up one police officer if that if that were to happen you know these are like vast vast systemic issues that have that are intersectional with a lot of other uh, a lot of other things, and uh, it's not something that has an easy fix that's just going to be. That's going to be resolved by like pulling the lever for Joe Biden and then going home for the next four years. Right. Mm-hmm. That's my yeah. rant about state violence that I had. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> this is even, but I yes, I I think it's it's going to take more than just one prosecution. You know, that's just like it, we just need that kind of like foundation to build on and like that precedent to set. And I think that's also why prosecutors who work so closely with police are reluctant to be the first one to do that um and it's just it's it's frustrating that now we're seeing in minneapolis they're laying the foundation to do do just that to let this guy off the hook but it goes also beyond that and also i think people need to pay attention to when police unions renegotiate their union contracts because the in those contracts there are so many stipulations about how these types of situations can get handled and in many of them there are there's a framework for incident reports that allow the police to take multiple days before all of the stuff gets processed so all of the people involved and all the people in the station and, and the precinct can get their story straight and then they submit it and then it's this whole coordinated effort this internal coordinated effort against the victim and bystanders and the state and whomever uh, going forward so they're already on one page and then you have all of these other like these separate alienated entities and it makes it so much easier for them to pick all the other stories apart and mm-hmm. stand strong and unite and protect one another it's like a fraternity i mean it, it that's what's you know the fop yeah yeah and it's just there's that's just one one thing and there's so many other ways that they have protected this bad behavior 
and insulated it from any outside force or criticism. And it's just so, so disturbing the lengths they've gone to do this. But the police unions is just one of many things. A former colleague of mine uh, had an op-ed in the New York Times a couple years ago that I could post in the show notes here. People are interested in reading it. He, he used to oversee the investigations at the DOJ and the Civil Rights Department. He used to oversee the police department investigations and has written extensively about uh, the union contracts. So if people are interested, I'll put it in the show notes. It's, it's really, really disturbing stuff. And it's very quiet. It's never in the forefront of the conversation. I was reading too last night about how I think there's situations too, like last night where we saw with the, the buildings being set on fire and the looting that was happening, where police deliberately pull out of these situations and allow it to happen because it's like, it's part of their like thin blue line mentality where they can then signal to their like liberal civilian kind of overseers, look at the look at the violent hordes that we're keeping at bay here, and they they kind of allow this a certain amount of violence to to happen, like kind of a controlled burn in some of these communities, and use that as a way to like further justify increasing police budgets and increasing authoritarianism and you know increasing like increasing militarization, um, and it's like a deliberate part of their tactics to like to allow that kind of stuff to happen. The mil the military surplus stuff and militarization of police departments is another disturbing um i don't even know how to call it a trend because it's not just like an emerging thing it's just it's been happening and it's everywhere uh and the types of training that they do where they see everyone that they encounter as an enemy combatant and, and it's so intertwined mm -hmm. with you know the armed forces and military that they see just everyone as a target and a suspect and it's just like the quick trigger like knee-jerk reactions just leads this type of violence um, but on the training itself, I don't know if you guys saw the story that the Minneapolis Police Department was was shown Zootopia, Zootropolis, Zootopia, or Zootopia. Really? Yeah, to, help with, oh. to help with their bias, their implicit bias training. <laughs> no. it's just like you have to reduce that this that down work, to like right? babble yeah. for these people. Yeah, yeah it still did, it still didn't even work. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, that's wild. <laughs> Zootopia. Yeah. Um, I guess, okay, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, Vanessa, while we still have you also, is just that um, another thing that I think people miss, even the, the vile reactionaries miss this, because you have people like Candace Owens, for example, who are trotting out statistics about like, oh, actually police kill more uh, unarmed white people. And, and it's this racial disparity is kind of like made up and it's just this kind of fake victim mentality uh, narrative that, that the Democratic Party uses to enslave people or whatever the fuck they believe. Mm -hmm. um, but I find that odd too because like well, not only are they missing the point about like how it's proportional like proportional to the actual like percentages of the population and it's when you break it down like that it is indeed uh, disproportionately violent mm -hmm. on certain communities but it's I do find it odd when reactionaries kind of hold up these statistics about police killings like in defense of the police and it's like i don't think you're making the point that you think you're making like you're you're just proving that the police do need to be demilitarized yeah. they do need to be disarmed and abolished like the police should not be going around murdering anybody like the the cops in america should not be judge jury and executioner <laughs> and you uh, look but they, at like they, they don't seem to quite they kind of miss that point when they bring trot out these statistics about about police violence right and they never get to the next step of like what are we going to do about it candace owens will show you statistics that more like a larger number of white people are shot by the police every year than black people but it never goes to like and this is unfair and also we should look into it instead it's sort of like where is the outrage why are there no more yeah what you know why are there only <laughs> tweets about the black people getting killed 
which is like, do you think we want to make the tweets? Like, this is not <laughs> fun. And also the tweets are not justice, you know? Like, the tweets are frustration, certainly. And sometimes the tweets result in, like, you know, tweets combined with, like, protests and other things will result in maybe a prosecution um, where there should be one, clearly. Like, um, what was the name of the jogger who was tragically killed? Um I'm going to botch his name. Aman. Um, Ahmad Arbery. Yes, that's yeah. right. Um, but like it, for her, it, it's so strange to me. Like for her, it's sort of like, why aren't we making. It, it, it's just bizarre. It's all like very superficial. I, I don't quite understand it. Um, Yo, and by the way, like some of the shit that I don't want to give too much credence to anything she says because she's just like a vile troll, awful person. But like she was really in rare form talking about this last night. I think talking yes. about these protests, basically saying that they're like uh, funded by George Soros, uh, acting like trained chimpanzees. Like that's that's literally Nazi shit. Like that's not that's not kind of close or brushing up against it or signaling or anything like that. That's just straight up stormfront white supremacist Nazi rhetoric uh, about about uh, these these protests. And it's like. That's like the future of the conservative movement in the United States doesn't doesn't really bode too well as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, her and Charlie Kirk. This is their future. Next gen. Cool. Oh. <laughs> the, the fanning of the flames against people um, like uh, Charlie Kirk's tweet uh, that of all the Minnesota elected officials, he singled out Keith Ellison and Ilhan Omar. It's like, hmm, yeah. why might why might that be? <laughs> one person who you know would later possibly oversee the case, uh, and one person who has no involvement at the local level whatsoever uh, on on policing matters. But hmm, I wonder what what defining characteristic and the, the tar- yeah. targeting people those uh, those two people and also Andy No. If you saw, he was like policing Isra Hersey, her retweets. Who is if you, Isra, who is friend of the show. Uh, is also Ilhan Omar's daughter. He was like, Andy No was like policing her retweets to make sure, like to see what she was doing and like screenshot one because she retweeted like a DSA account that was like, people could use bandages and gauze and things like like, things that would like help people who've been injured by the police. And he's like, Ilhan Omar's daughter is retweeting this list of supplies for her comrades. And it's like, you fucking snitch. Like what is wrong? He should write that down in case he gets hit by another concrete milkshake. Then he's going to have the (laughs) the information that he needs to that very real incident that uh, that definitely did happen. Definitely wasn't used as a ploy to uh, <laughs> to take like rake in hundreds of thousands of dollars from absolute buffoons. <laughs> yeah, and I did not see the Charlie Kirk tweet. Unfortunately, he did block me after I bested him in uh, rigorous debate. Oh, online. really? Um, blocked Big me because he hates free speech. Ideas. I, I I kicked his ass on the battleground of ideas, and uh, he immediately blocked me because he is opposed to free speech. So I did not. That's didn't see his takes, unfortunately. It is, yeah. You're being censored. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fill out. I'm gonna go to the Donald Trump uh, dot com Twitter uh, complaint form now, and I'm gonna I'm try to get this straightened out. Pretty good at isolating myself from the Candace Owens tweets and the Charlie Kirk tweets and thoughts and takes, but sometimes just the worst shit will just bubble up, and it cannot be helped. Yeah. And so that's just sort of what I'll end up seeing. Um, while you guys were talking, I looked up. Candace Owens's tweet and then I saw that two hours ago the Open Society Foundations responded to it 
They were like, hi, Candace. Mr. Soros and the Open Society Foundations oppose all violence and do not pay people to protest. And then the comment under that was some guy <laughs> who posted like a vile photo of Soros looking, oh, I don't know, with like blood on his face. And it's just like, Soros is the equivalent of Satan. And it's just like, do not engage these people. It doesn't, you're screaming into the void. You can't yeah. reason with her. We just had oh, to ignore man. them. Disappointing to hear that they aren't they aren't gonna send the paychecks. I've been sending them invoices for months. Yeah. So bit bummed there. <laughs> I guess uh, I guess to close, I guess it, it, the reason that I think everything that's happening right now, I think, is a very kind of uh, scary um, sign of of what's to come in America. Because I think a lot of communities right now are reaching the breaking point. Uh, it's not just the the black community in Minneapolis. I mean, as we've talked about in, in previous episodes, there's this massive economic crisis going on right now. Uh, 40 million people are out of work. They've got one $1,200 check. Maybe no help appears to be forthcoming. Um, and, you know, it, this is something that I mentioned just a few weeks ago. America really is a a very dangerous powder keg right now of all kinds of potentially explosive situations. And this is just one facet of it. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't help but feel like as the summer progresses, as things do get a lot more desperate for some of these communities, we haven't seen the end of these kinds of, of uh, protests and uprisings. In fact, I kind of think it is more the beginning of that. And we've talked also with, with Ken Klippenstein about how law enforcement communities are, are very ready for this kind of social unrest to begin they've they've been preparing for it for a while they've been militarizing for a while for this exact situation um and it's not just this summer i feel like this is like what the 2020s uh throughout the world and really throughout the west and throughout america are going to be all about uh and uh it, it it is a little bit of a frightening and potentially ugly situation um uh, that i feel like could continue to get worse as this summer uh rolls on and I, you know, I think that's just something everyone should keep in mind, uh, because these these situations are not going to simmer out or just go away on their own. It really feels like the beginning of something that's going to get a lot bigger and could become very dangerous and violent as well. Wow, dark dark way to end this. Yeah, well, <laughs> I feel like you gotta I get you gotta add one positive thing for your listeners. <laughs> one thing you're looking forward to in the next. <laughs> Sorry, I just I feel. Well, it's like... my birthday next week. Oh, that's that's something. That's great. Any yeah. plans? Are you gonna have a Zoom party? My maybe I might do something like that. I'll I'm gonna be staying at home. Might might splurge and get a cake from somewhere. Oh boy! Spray it with a bunch of disinfectants and stuff to make sure that it's not you know potentially dangerous. <laughs> Hang out. That would be nice though. Nice little you that know escape from all that stuff. Funny early birthday. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm turning uh, tw uh, 26. So, yeah. That's Forever. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Vanessa, thank you so much for coming on the show again. We really, uh, we love to talk to you and have you on the show. We really appreciate you taking the time again to come and speak to us. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me. Vanessa, where can people find your stuff online? Um... Oh, gosh, this is embarrassing. But last time I was on, I mentioned an article coming out in the New Republic. And it's coming out next week. So you should look for it. Oh, cool. Workers co-ops. Learn all about them. <laughs> nice, nice. 
That sounds great. Well, we thank you again. It was a pleasure to speak to you, and uh, we'll uh, we'll you're our, our uh, dark time end times apocalypse correspondent. So we My hope to have you back again, probably <laughs> sooner than later, if, uh, judging by the current uh, trajectory of the United States. Sounds so great. We'll, we'll talk to you again soon. All right, bye-bye. bye bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Insurgents. Please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com. Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. And please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban. So please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye.